I don't know what episode this is. I want to say it's 158. Damn. Every time I get to a, every time I say what number it is, it just sounds like a lot to me. I didn't think, guys, I didn't think I was going to get past seven or eight episodes and somehow I've crushed it. I am on a podcast high right now, if I'm being honest, guys. I'm just, I'm going to be real with you guys. Uh, You know, sometimes I struggle just to stay disciplined and to stay on top of doing the podcast all the time because it's a lot of work. And this is my passion and I love it. But that doesn't mean as a mm, creator that you don't get discouraged or don't get down or don't, you know, you sometimes just lose motivation. And maybe it's because I'm looking at looking for motivation in the wrong places. I don't know. I'm never not motivated to do this podcast except for I just get like these little down. Uh, sometimes my emotions are just are on a roller coaster. And um, you know what? I'm going to go all into that on my Patreon. And that will be a, a solo separate podcast. If you guys join my Patreon patreon.com slash neanderthalkpodcast uh, for $5 a month uh, you get the video version of the podcast and you get a special uh, podcast that only those uh, only the $5 supporters receive and it's uh, <clears throat> sometimes I have guests sometimes it's just me sometimes in the, I'm in the middle of a stream doing it by myself um, enough about all that that's <laughs> I was going to go into it, but I'm going to go in and save that for a whole other little podcast. They're like 15, 20 minutes long or so. Let's get down to it. Whoa. Like I said, I'm on a podcast high because I just had, you guys might not know who this guy is. His name is Dennis E. Taylor. And it was like meeting a celebrity for me. It was meeting uh, somebody I really respect, admire, look up to. He's uh, one of my favorite authors. He's a science fiction author. And he writes everything in my wheelhouse. We're talking, you know, extinction, extinction events. We're talking aliens. We're talking space travel, simulation theory. It's so good. And the Audible books are amazing. I don't know if you guys have ever listened to an Audible book. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're hesitant. This is the one to get into. Uh, just, he's, it's, you know, go to audible.com. And you can sign up there. Maybe get a free book for your first one. Get this one. See how it is. You're going to fall in love. I love it. The book, Dennis E. Taylor, uh, he's written a bunch of different books and short stories. But the big one is called We Are Legion. We Are Bob. And it's just, I'm not going to go. Listen to a little bit. There's not too many spoilers in this episode. <sighs> not really spoilers, but. There are some things that might tip you off if you read it, but like, oh, okay, I don't know. This is a great episode. Awesome, dude. I, I just, doing this podcast is awesome. I love it. I can't believe I get to talk to people like this. It's just awesome. It's awesome. Guys, I can't, I'm going to shut up. I'm putting my foot in my mouth. I do these intros live. I don't edit them. Episode 158, I think, Dennis E. Taylor Amazing. Boom, shalak, boom. What do I say? I, I can't believe it. I love this. I love you guys. Thank you for supporting me. Uh, also, I got a new YouTube called Ryan Westa. I do pink drink reviews. It's great. Amazing. Check it out. Bye. Welcome to the Inner Talk Podcast.
Yeah, I mean, I guess we can just start. You are an, an amazing author, by the way. Like, I took a break from reading fiction books for a long time. I, like, I grew up, Michael Crichton is my favorite author growing up, right? Couldn't get enough of his. And then I just veered off of like fiction and science fiction and just went to nonfiction stuff for a while. And then I started, uh, I'm a mailman by day, which means I have my headphones in all day. And so I started getting into audiobooks. Yep. And then that's when I came across uh, We Are Legion, We Are Bob. Cool. Yeah, I um it's funny, I still don't really think of myself as an audiobook primary author, uh, mostly because I grew up with paperbacks, mm-hmm. like literally physical paper novels. So I I still have the novelist mindset. And I think of uh, audio a bit of an add-on, but really they are a major source of both fiction and nonfiction. And, and the narrator just adds a whole nother dimension to the experience. Yeah, it's crazy what, what the narrator, what the voice actor, how big of a difference that can be from just putting it over the top. You can take a great story, but if you don't have the best voice actor it kind of it just falls flat and you just lose interest and uh who's the is it ray porter is that the guy that yeah that's mine that guy is incredible that guy is... yeah he really is he really is he uh he he puts everything into it he's it's not you know he's not just clock uh, you know clock watching um when he does his podcast he's he's leaning into it um he tries to figure out the best characterization of every single character in in the novel how much did you talk do did you have a lot of conversations with them on like how you want certain actors to sound or certain characters to sound like and and different accents and stuff like that or are you hands Uh, off the the conversations were very brief but ray does ask you know he says any any characters in there that you have a particular uh, visualization of and I, I for We Are Legion I told him about um, Colonel Butterworth and uh, Guppy of course and, <laughs> uh, and Bridget for book two because she had to have an Irish accent a uh, couple of other minor things like that but for the most part um, you know he, he just runs with it that's fat and yeah that's fascinating and did you have any kind of reservations with an actor like once you give over your baby to him to turn it into a, a voice movie if for lack of a better word did you have any reservations or thoughts like oh i hope he doesn't you know muck it up somehow with with you know what i mean like is, is it is it hard to give away something like that to have it turn into a project like that not really i mean i i have to trust audible uh you know it's their business presumably they know what they're doing um <laughs> Of course, I had no experience with audiobooks at the time uh, when they were um, putting We Are Legion together. So I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know who Ray Porter was. Um, I had never listened to an, literally never listened to an audiobook at that point. No way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. 
I, I actually, I'm not sure if I'd listened to the Martian or not by that point, but um, I was thinking Will Wheaton simply because I, I know his name mm-hmm. and he did Ready Player One. Yeah. And uh, actually, I must have listened to Ready Player One by that point because I, I had listened to Will Wheaton. He has uh, he has a lot of energy. Okay. When he um, when when he reads a book and and it comes through. I mean, Ready Player One. It was like frenetic. It was awesome. I read I, I listened yeah. to that one and then Ready Player Two. And I want to say there was one more that he did that I might have listened to. Will Wheaton. But yeah, he's he's another great one. Yeah, he does a lot of Scalzi's books as well um and uh, and he does good with those too uh but anyway i i was uh, thinking of asking about uh, getting will wheaton uh never got around to it didn't feel confident enough i mean my first book i didn't think i had a whole lot of weight to throw around uh, but my contact at audible had made the decision that ray porter would be the best person for the book i think um steve said to me later on that what he was really thinking about was the the need for making the voices sound different mm-hmm. because the, the nature of the book is it's the same person over and over and over again. So he thought Ray Porter would help to differentiate the characters and he did, but as a bonus, he also did Guppy and Colonel Butterworth and some of those other ones. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, Ray Porter also does Peter Klein's a lot. Okay. I'll have to check some of those out. Um, was there uh, was is it Cranston? Was he based off of uh, Westboro Baptist Church guy, Fred Phelps? Kind well, of, not specifically. Not, but like, like you know, did you draw some inspiration from that guy? I draw. I drew some inspiration from Westboro in general, but I haven't um, followed them enough to know any names. Like the name that you just mentioned isn't familiar to me at all. I just remember hearing about Westboro in the news. And rolling my eyes and thinking, oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> another another set of nut bars. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of um, in terms of religious extremists and fundamentalists and stuff like that, there's there's so much uh, in the way of, of source material out in real life that uh, you know it's hard to point to anybody or anything and say, oh yeah, that's where it came from. Okay. Maybe it was part of like just uh, the voice acting coming through kind of had a, it just it just reminded me. I didn't know if it was. Well, maybe Ray was inspired by that. OK, guy. I don't know, that's entirely possible. I didn't I didn't give any input one way or the other in terms of uh, Cranston's voice. So that's one of the ones that Ray just ran with. Nice. Um, and, and so I think I read somewhere that this book was you kind of wrote it more to be an audio book. Uh no, not not We Are Legion. Um, okay. It it became a primarily an audio book because I couldn't get a, a traditional publisher. Okay. Uh, and Audible picked up the contract, so it became an audio book before it became paperback. And um, when editing that book, I didn't really think much about the difference in writing styles between an audio book and a and a text book but subsequent books i was a lot more careful about how i wrote things um singularity trap for instance i paid very careful attention to making sure that i didn't use too many dialogue tags which really come out glaringly obvious in audiobooks 
Okay, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that one too. And I mean, I like all, I mean, love all of your stuff because it's, it's all right in my wheelhouse. Like I've, I've been a fast, I've been fascinated with simulation theory. Gosh, for, you know, I'm 41 years old. And I guess when Matrix came out, that kind of was like oh, yeah. my, my first, you know, real you know, exposure to the red, to the red pill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exposure to simulation theory and that whole idea. And it just really hooked me. And then of course, I'm also, I'm really big into, like end of world type stuff, extinction events, such as like, like the, the caldera of Yellowstone. And when you touched mm -hmm. on that, I thought that was just, just amazing. Like you, you just everything. And then if you've gathered by the name of my podcast, Neanderthal, it's, you know, based off Neanderthal. And so like, I, uh, one of my favorite stories of, of the books was, was the Deltons oh, and, yeah. and, 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 uh, Archimedes and that whole, that whole storyline. It's just, you know, reminded me of like early man type living yeah. just yeah you just touch on so many different amazing like the things that are all in my wheel wheelhouse and um like how did you how long have, are you into simulation theory is that something you're really big into like believing in or just writing about or what's your thoughts on that um i it's one of many subjects that i find really fascinating i mean i'm a science geek i've always been a science geek uh i an ex-computer programmer as well. So the whole virtual reality simulation theory thing just drops right in, mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, understanding the potential technology. Um, yeah, it, it just, uh, it, it's, and I'm sure it's been touched on many times in different science fiction books over the years. I know Jack Chalker did at least one or two series that involved uh, people stuck in a computer simulation. Um, it, it couldn't give you the names of them to save my life, but I <laughs> do remember them. Actually, I wonder whatever happened to Jack Chalker. Is he still alive or is he just retired? I, you'd, have have to, to look you'd have to Google that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Sometimes authors just kind of drop off the, the face of the earth. Um, same with actors. But anyway, yeah. To, Sorry, I am wandering, but getting back to the original question. Wander, wander it's, all it's, you want. It's one of many subjects in science fiction that, uh, well, that makes science fiction as fascinating as it is. Yeah, and then with the space travel, it was just, it was just a really unique concept to just bring like space, the space travel with the simulation. It was just, I don't even know. I don't even know how you come up with half, like any of the things you come up with, like, I mean, there's so much knowledge. I mean, a lot of it was like, was the Dyson sphere? Like, I've never heard of that, but apparently that's like kind of a real concept. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, you just being a science nerd growing up, you just kind of know all these different things and extrapolate from that or. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these things do come up in, in uh, movies and series and stuff like that. There was a Dy Dyson sphere in one episode of Star Trek TNG. Okay. Uh, uh, it was a solid Dyson sphere, which is sort of out of fashion these days. They're more into swarms these days, but I love the idea of a solid one. Impossible, really neat. It is impossible. Is there anything, what's the closest to reality of, let's just stick with the We Are Legion books right now. Like what is the, some of the closest things to reality that you could actually see happening in the future, maybe, you know, hundred years um, or so? I don't see Dyson spheres or Dyson swarms 
or Topopoli or Topopolises or whatever, um, really happening because they're a large commitment, both in terms of time and resources and, uh, and commitment. I mean, a commitment of commitment, if, if that doesn't sound uh, tautological. Um, it's like committing to building the pyramids. They might have been able to do it 3,000 years ago, but not now. I, you know, um, I do think space stations will continue to be developed and eventually I think we'll get a, a rotating one, but I don't think we'll ever go farther than that. Oh, really? Do you, th do you think about, like, I, I really like the 3D printing idea, um, especially with that technology kind of starting to. Oh, that's inevitable. Yeah. That and so yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like, uh, like the idea of like sending 3D printers out there and like space, mine, like getting your probes to space mine different asteroids and stuff and then having the 3d printers print up stuff on you know say mars or another planet that we're looking at yeah yeah there's a there's a whole lot of technology that has to be developed to okay. make 3d printers work um one of the problems <clears throat> with them is that they don't have uh fine enough uh deposition ability to really print some things that we'd need like well, electronic circuit boards, for instance, like you can't 3D print a, uh, an IC. Um, the other thing is getting the raw materials from the ground into the 3D printer. Um, you have to develop a whole technological basis for automated mining. And we're nowhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's all, there's all these details. It's, it's one of those things that from an engineering point of view is we're probably not far from being able to do it, but from a knowledge point of view, there's so much we have to work out first. Okay. But possibly maybe oh, if we yeah. can last, last long enough, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would not say that that's impossible. That's incredible. I had a 3D printer guy on the podcast before, and he was just kind of telling me about it. And I was asking him about some of the limitations to it. And it does seem like they're pretty far away from, I mean, they're still doing some cool things. Like, I think they put like a bladder, 3D printed bladder into somebody maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there was, um, there was an episode of uh, Grey's Anatomy where they 3D printed a new larynx for somebody. Oh, cool. And that was years ago. And you know, they were thinking about it then. So you went from programming or computer program straight into just being an author? Did you just one day decide I'm going to quit, quit doing this and just start writing? Or like, how did that transition even begin? Yeah, I'm not that um, adventurous. <laughs> uh, my my, my uh, catchphrase is, is cautious, uh, cautious and incremental improvement. Okay. So, uh, you know, if, if I was climbing a tree, I'd be the person who never lets go of, of uh, the, the previous branch until I've got a good grip on the next one. Um, I was working at uh, ICBC. Uh, it's the provincial insurer out in British Columbia. And uh, I just started writing the first version of Outland. And there's, there's a whole story behind that, too. And uh, it was a... It was a lark. It was. Uh, it was just. I was just trying it out to see if I could write a novel, and um, 
I found myself with a completed novel at one point. I put it up on Amazon and I started selling copies. Not, not huge, you know, not uh, coffee money. Okay. Right? It was coffee money every month uh, if you go to Starbucks a lot. And uh, <laughs> I was quite happy with it. And then I started writing my second novel, which was We Are Legion, because the first one seemed to have worked. And I got uh, an agent for that one, uh, Ethan Ellenberg. And um, you know, things didn't go well from there because he wasn't able to get a publisher. And that's partly my fault um, because I really went about it wrong. A new author should not write a series. Okay. That's, that's sort of a rule it, it, because you're, you know, the publisher is taking a chance on publishing the first book of a series that simply might not take off. But even if the first one is so good, do they fall, will, it, will the publisher fall in love with it and be like, I don't even care if it doesn't sell what we want it to sell. This book is so good. It has to be out there. Well, that's what uh, Steve Felberg did. Okay. From, from Audible. He, uh, he actually, he told me a story that he was reading We Are Legion on the, um, on, on transit, they have, they have an, ele- I can't even remember what they have in New York. It's a uh, elevated uh, train or something. But anyway, he was, he was, he was taking transit home and he missed his stop because he was reading the book and he just got immersed. Nice. Which really feels good. What a great but, compliment. Yeah. 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 And, and he was confident enough in the book to, to sign a contract for We Are Legion uh, not for the second and third book at that point, because, you know, he's still a businessman. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, to, to give it a chance and, and see how it went. And it uh, it surprised everybody. Yeah, but not you? Oh, no, it surprised me, too. Really? Yeah. yeah. Did you know how I, good it was when you when you got done with the first one? Did you know how good it was? Like, is that something you just know or you're just like, I think it's good, but I don't know. Well, that's the problem. I knew that it was the kind of book that I would love. If somebody else had written We Are Legion, I would have loved it. I would have bought two and three. But I don't know how typical I am in terms of a science fiction reader. Mm-hmm. I might be, you know, a, a real outlier for all mm-hmm. I know. Um, as it turns out, I'm fairly typical. Yeah. So I write what I like and other people like what I like. I love what you like. I love what you like. I got, like I said, when I first emailed you, like I was, I guess maybe like you were maybe not as confident to to talk to Will Wheat. And I was the same with way with you. I was like, I was really nervous to like even send an email to you. And then it's just like, I can't read your stuff fast enough. Like I've gone through, I think everything, I think I've read every or gone, listened or read everything you you've put out there so far. And more than once, like, I just like, like, like we are Legion is, is just, it's fun to go through multiple times. Cause you just, there's so much in it and there's so many different stories and you can just find new things every time. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I like about books too, is where there are layers and where there's stuff that's apparently irrelevant, but may turn out to have a bearing later on in the book or it might just be irrelevant and you don't know. Yeah. I like to put um, red herrings into books. And technically, that's something you're not supposed to do for, for <laughs> writing novels, but I don't care. I just <laughs> stick, stick irrelevant details in simply because 
they add dimensionality to the to the world. Keep people on your toes. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Um, so when you first when you wrote the first uh, We Are Legion, did you already have the other two written, or do you just had ideas on where to go with that? Well, as a lot of people have pointed out, We Are Legion doesn't really end so much as stop. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's series where each book is almost self-contained and comes to a satisfying conclusion. And then the next one comes up and it, it either continues or brings in new problems. And then there's series that are uh, in the Lord of the Rings uh, vein where it just stops. I mean, uh, book one or the Fellowship of the Ring, if I remember right, that one stops with Frodo and Samwise pushing the canoe out into the river and stay tuned for book two right and cliffhanger right um and that's that's what the we are legion the bob verse series is kind of like um well outland was like that too well a little um, bit kind of ended they were like all right let's go on then they open up another portal and saw some dinosaurs or something like yeah. that and they're like all right yeah. we're going like oh you guys didn't get enough of this crazy shit you're gonna <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden mess with some velociraptors and whatever <laughs> Yeah, I, that's that's just a hook for the hook for the next book. But uh, I, I think the the main plot lines of uh, Outland wrapped up well enough. Oh yeah, for own. sure. Yeah, I, I put that last chapter in just because I wanted to have a hook. Um, but yeah, uh, getting back to the question you asked before about uh, We Are Legion, I actually wrote the plot lines the main uh threads of we are legion as as sort of individual threads and then split them up into chapters and interwove them through the book but by the time that i um put we are legion out for uh to um wait by the time i queried it sorry with, with agents i already had two just about done and i was part way into three. Oh wow um but as i say they weren't being written as three independent novels they were being written as one really really long story and then being broken up and i tried to make uh logical breaks at the end of each book but yeah <laughs> you know a bit of, bit of lord of the rings happening there and then is is there's four right uh heaven's river Heaven's River. Is that kind uh, of its River, own? It, yeah, it, it's um, it, it's part of the Baba verse. Right. It kind of stands it, out though by itself. You can read it almost by itself, and it's yeah, you got enough. Well, the Baba verse trilogy was written as a trilogy, and mm -hmm. it does wrap up very well at the end of the third book. I could have just left it there and never written another Baba verse book. But why? <laughs> um, but then when I wrote Heaven's River, it's I basically take the same characters start where I left off and it's an entirely new adventure. Uh, like with the original trilogy, there are some threads left at the end of Heaven's River. Um, like the fact that Bob goes back for um, Teresa mm -hmm. and stuff like that and, and the whole uh, Skippy's thing and, um, and Starfleet for that matter. I mean, those are, those are perfect openings for other books. 
All right. Well, can I ask, uh, will there be more Bobaverse books? There have to be. I just signed a contract, a new contract with Audible um, for uh, two more Bobaverse books and two more non-Bobaverse books. Oh, that makes me so happy. And, and that's because we, I'm just finishing up the existing contract with Audible. Uh, the third and last book, uh, Roadkill, I'm just in the process of, uh, of finishing up. Okay, yeah, I didn't, yeah. We, so you got four more we have to look forward to at least? Yeah, five if you include Roadkill. Okay, when will, when is Roadkill the next one that will come out? Yeah. And that's- Yeah, Road, it's Go a non-Bobiverse book. Uh, it's, uh, as I said, it's the third book in the existing contract and that completes that contract. Um, I probably will get it, uh, finished and wrapped up for edits, uh, by the end of September. Then I've got to finish off the second outland book, Earthside. That's about half written right now. And, uh, I stalled on it. So I switched over and start writing roadkill, but I will finish it off. And then I start on the new contract books and the schedule on that is more or less set up to complete a book every six months. Whoa. Is that a, yeah. like, is that typical for a book like a book this size or, or a typical author? Can they finish? They can finish a book in six months. That seems fast to me. It's not unreasonable if you're uh, reasonably um, dedicated about it. Uh, Mind you, if you're George R. R. Martin, uh, you're talking years between books. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, six months isn't unreasonable at, at uh, my writing rate. It's just a question of, of um, basically of me sitting down and doing it. And there's that, that clearly must take a lot of discipline. That's the problem. That's, That's the problem. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of discipline. No? I, I'm, a, I'm a procrastinator. I always have been. Uh, I, I've been thinking that I should get over that, but I never got around to it. Um, there's hope, there's hope for me then. Cause I'm a procrastinator too. And I see someone yeah. like you successful. That's a couple of years older than me. I'm like, all right, I can still hang in there. You're my canary yeah. in the coal mine. Yeah. But having, having deadlines helps. Um, it's, it's when it's, it's a situation of, well, when you get to it, you get to it. Well, I'll never get to it. So, <laughs> so having the deadlines will help a lot. Okay. Um, you said you stalled on Outland Part Two, and then went to a different book. So, like, you'll you can write multiple books at the same time. And that's not. Do you ever like I don't know forget or like, can, not confuse storylines, but maybe get a little tripped up here and there, or is that just I don't know what I'm talking about? It's super easy no, to do. No, I don't. Um, I don't write multiple books at the same time. I think in the way that you're that you mean. But I will write and then put something down and move on to something else and then come back to it later. Uh, I, I do keep enough notes and so forth that I can get back into it. I usually have a spreadsheet going with with chapter summaries and uh, ideas and stuff like that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I was curious, like if, if someone if someone were to quiz you on the Bobaverse, like with just like all the names, would you be able to off the top of your head know every name and like the care everything about that character or the storyline no <laughs> no no uh i have a terrible terrible episodic memory um 
a couple of years of not thinking about something directly and it just fades gone I, found out, <laughs> I actually found out about that when i went to my um i can't remember if it was 10 year or 20 year um i think it was 20 year uh, class reunion graduating class reunion and i was shocked to find out how many people i didn't even remember and their names that I didn't remember and, and where I knew them from, I didn't remember. And it just. I, you know. I'm, I, I do know I, I'm, I'm very similar, especially if it's something that's not going to benefit me. I just, there's only so much, you know, room on our hard drives, so to speak. It just kind of gets yeah. deleted. I mean, I mean, I've been going through that. I've been divorced for about a little over three years now. And I was trying to even remember, I was married for almost 10 years. I, I, that's almost like 10 years. It's almost been deleted. Like there's so much of it. I just don't remember. And I think a lot of it's just me trying to forget a lot of the, yeah. I don't know, but it's just like, it's weird. I, yeah. Well, neurologically, we have to re-remember memories periodically in order to reinforce them. Right. Okay. So if you, if you don't bring up a memory, every once in a while, it will eventually fade. It'll get overwritten by newer stuff, especially if it doesn't have a huge amount of emotion attached to it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Dun Dunbar's number or something like that. Something similar to that, right? Uh, not familiar with that. Oh, I think Dunbar's number is like, uh, like a, we're supposed to, like people, humans have about a capacity, I think of like 150 names that they're oh, they kind of remember, like, right. Because, you know, when we were in earlier, you know, humans, we, yeah. you know, we were tribes. We only remembered about that many. And then once right. once you get more than 150, it gets a little bit more overwhelming. Yeah. Social connectivity limits. Yeah. It, it's probably a pretty reasonable number, too. Yeah, I think so. Which is, which, you know, it was just funny. I Because, you know, I, I used to go to church. I used to be into that. I'm not in that anymore. But I would always, it would always, you know, spark me as curious on how like pastors or preachers would remember a pretty big congregation. It's like, that seems like you shouldn't be, I don't know, you know, are we supposed to be leading groups with more than 150 and then, you know, all these people's names and then, I don't know, a lot of comes with, a lot of stuff comes with that. Well, they, they don't all uh, successfully remember all those names. <laughs> yeah. we, we had, we had one, um, priest at the uh, church I went to uh, uh, attended with my wife when my daughter was in elementary and he made no bones about the fact that he couldn't remember names he would just say flat out look pleased to meet you but the next time we meet I won't remember your name please be understanding I'm crappy with names <laughs> and that was that and he never remembered anybody's name that's a good way to just go through life being a little I don't know, maybe not lazy, but just kind of putting it out there. Like, look, here's my flaw. Yeah. I'm not going to remember you. Don't take offense, but I'm not even going to try to remember you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've given up. I know my limitations. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I do have, uh, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit. I don't know. I'm not, um, you, do you follow any of the, this is going to sound weird, but any of like the UFO activity that's been in the news this past year, all the different video, like the FLIR video and the go fast video and the Pentagon saying these are possibly out of world aircrafts, any of that, like, do you, do you follow any of that at all? 
I follow the news and it's in the news a lot. Um, it's going about exact, pretty much exactly as I expected it would. What does that mean? Well, uh, the, the Pentagon didn't definitively say these are not UFOs. Therefore, all the UFO believers are saying that the Pentagon has admitted that these are UFOs, which is in fact not what they said. Mm -hmm. They just said, we cannot positively uh, explain all of these occurrences. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the, the uh, I don't know what you want to call them, the UFO believers, uh, or uh, they're not ufologists really, but just the people who are, who, claim that ufos are real and that these are um evidence of ufos let's just call them believers the believers tend to go a little overboard and destroy their own credibility mm -hmm. uh if they if they would just pull it in a little bit um they, they could sound a lot more sane yeah but maybe they're you know it is funny to see what i don't know there is a certain type of person that believes them a little bit too much uh-huh it's like i don't even know yeah what do you have any ideas or what are your thoughts on what these could possibly be like have you thought about it like what you know do you have any uh i don't know guesses or hypotheses well i don't believe that ufos are extraterrestrial visitors let's just put that right out i'm not saying they aren't because it's very difficult to prove a negative you can't prove there's no santa claus but i can say that i don't believe they are mm -hmm. which is a different statement uh, i'm prepared to be proven wrong i'd be overjoyed to be proven wrong if <laughs> if uh you know if the ufos landed in central park today i'd be dancing around uh just like the the most dedicated ufo believer you wouldn't be scared uh, I'd be a little concerned, I suppose, <laughs> but if they're taking the time to, to land instead of nuking us from orbit, we're probably okay. Um, because if, if, if they mean harm to us, we don't, we'll never see them. You know, uh, the whole Independence Day thing where they, they hover for 10 days over the capitals, completely unnecessary. Tungsten rod delivered at 0.9 C from orbit takes care of the problem right uh so if they land we're probably okay i think uh, so too yeah yeah a lot of the ufo uh videos are so obviously either fake or not ufo videos that that when you get all these people saying see see obvious proof of ufos and you're looking at it, you're saying no obvious proof of not ufo uh, it it like I said, it destroys the credibility right across right across the board. Mm -hmm. You don't think? Uh, I don't know. I've I think there's I think there's a few credible ones, like the ones that are that are from the aircrafts, from like the navy or whatever, and they're using the instruments to to follow these. Yeah, I'm like you. I don't think they're aliens necessarily. I don't think there's little green men inside of these yep. vehicles and and all accounts. But after you know, going through, we are legion. I was like, Oh, that's not a bad idea. Wouldn't it be some kind of like, if it was not from here or another country or something like that, it would make sense that another uh, system would send a, a probe or a drone, you know, like we're, we got a drone mm -hmm. on Mars. Like yep. why wouldn't another 
race or species or whatever, send something here to check it out. Yeah, it could be. Um, excuse me. Uh, again, like I say, it, it could be, or it could be just an explanation that we haven't come up with yet for something more mundane. Uh, but the claim that UFOs are extraterrestrials or extraterrestrial drones is um, the extraordinary claim and therefore requires the extraordinary proof. You cannot mm -hmm. say, well, you can't prove it's something else, therefore it's aliens. It doesn't work that right, way. Right, right. You know, yeah, I, I, I hope. Yeah, I hope, but I'm not going to believe until you come up with something better. What would make you believe? I, I, I'm not a believer either. I'm a hoper no. like you. I just, but what yeah. would make you believe more like better video? Uh, you know, the thing is these days, deep fakes are, are so good and special effects are so good that a video on its own, no matter how dramatic, um, I don't think that would cut it. I think you'd have to have numerous eyewitness accounts, numerous videos from different angles mm -hmm. with different phones by different people of the same object. If something slowly floated across, you know, in front of the, the um, Washington Monument or something like that, and, and several hundred people got videos of it, and you were able to triangulate the thing from those different videos, because you know you're going to have your your uh, geolocation information attached to the video and stuff like that. So you'll be able to get uh, an actual triangulation of the object. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Okay, but now we've proven that that's something real, and it's floating up there. But is it still aliens, or is it the Russians? <laughs> testing their new stealth blimp or something like that until a little green guy kind of, you know walks out of the thing you still don't know that it's aliens <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean you're right it takes extraordinary claims need extraordinary proof um so speaking of like little green men i don't think that's what you think they would look like based on some of your writing like how do you come up with some of your alien creations like is that something like like say the others is that something you would think would be plausible of another type of thing that would be out there or like where do you come up with your ideas with these different is it just uh because you have to come up with something so you come up with a mishmash of you know bat pigs yeah well i in a lot of cases it's just whatever comes to mind at the time uh, I do have some requirements, you know, it had, if for a particular uh, set of beings like the, the Deltons, they had to be humanoid in general outline, um, but they couldn't be too human. I wasn't going for a Star Trek, you know, identical except for brow ridges thing. So uh, bat pigs sounded reasonable, <laughs> you know, and, and different proportions to the, to the body and stuff, because there's nothing magical about our um, body proportions. In fact, Neanderthals, if it comes down to it, had different proportions than, than uh, Homo sapiens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you throw in stuff like that. But I am a believer in convergent evolution, uh, producing similar designs. It kind of, I mean, it kind of makes sense. But then I wonder, is that just our, you know, human ego speaking? Yeah, you, you can work things out <clears throat> logically. Uh, to a certain extent. 
Um, for instance, a higher gravity planet, the uh, beings would tend to have more legs mm-hmm. for structural support. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, number of limbs, otherwise, uh, you need at least a couple for manipulation and you need at least a couple for locomotion. So you might end up with a centaur kind of right. a design. Um, but then what are your, what are your, uh, what's your range of options, right? It's, uh, it's either a centaur or, or an ostrich kind of a design. So I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Right. So 50, 50 chance of ending up with something vaguely humanoid. Right. Yeah. 50, 50 that high. Well, it's either centaur or you know, uh, either, either six limbs or four. Uh, I don't think you can end up with two because you either walk or you manipulate. Mm-hmm. Right. And eight is eight doesn't make sense for something our size unless again it's a heavy gravity planet so evolution is parsimonious it only supplies what's needed so if you don't need six legs you're not going to have six legs uh, you know what yeah that makes sense of course it would be like that anywhere in the gap because we're all made up of the same stuff right we're all stardust evolution but- is evolution uh it 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 tries to produce the maximum benefit with the minimum investment so i guess thinking like that which which does make sense if if, go to the farthest reaches of the galaxy and find a planet that has life probably not going to be terribly dissimilar to something earth has already experienced yeah (coughs) excuse me yeah you need photosynthesis so you're going to have plants um you need well you don't need things to eat plants. I mean, you could have just a planet full of plants, but then uh, chances for conversation are probably low. <laughs> uh, but something's going to evolve that will eat the plants because that's a maximum benefit, minimum uh, investment type of thing. Eating plants, eat, you know, eating other biology instead of creating your own food from sunlight is, is a shortcut. Right. Uh, predators put out a lot less energy than than uh, herbivores, which is why we have predators. It's 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 an easy uh, it's an easy lifestyle. Yeah, predators is an easy lifestyle. Yeah, well, that's why if you if you watch a pride of lions or a herd of wolves, herd of wolves, pack of wolves, uh, they spend most of their time lying around You're right. uh, sleeping and, and playing. And every once in a while, they get up and go hunting. <laughs> And then they come you're back right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Herbivores are, yeah, herbivores are always anxious, always looking around. Herb- What's going to eat me? What's going to eat me? Well, they're also always eating from dawn to dusk. A herbivore is wandering around looking for food to eat. Man, it's, a harder, it's a harder lifestyle. That's right. That's why I'm not a vegan. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, that and the taste. Yes, Ooh, yes. <laughs> i'm gonna get letters now oh no no that's all right most of my most of my listeners are meat eaters most of them and meat if not if not i don't want them yeah um can you tell me a little about about this next book you have like is there anything you can tell us that we have to look for road what did you roadkill road, road, road can you tell us a little bit about that yeah um a I young mean, guy uh is driving along and he runs over something invisible and it turns out to be an alien. Oh, cool. And through a process of deduction, he finds the alien spaceship 
well, him and his friends find the alien spaceship and uh, get into it. And then stuff happens. All right. All right. I love it. That sounds super fun. It sounds like, yeah, I could see, I could see. So that must be based in Florida. <laughs> Actually, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Because, um and when is that going to come out sometimes you said editing in september for that and then well that and that and are, are all your books are going to be audible books i guess from now on well all my books start out as audio books because audible has the contract and then there's a four-month delay uh before the text versions come out how well how well do the text versions sell compared to the audio well about Three quarters of my income is audio. Two thirds of my unit sales are audio. Um, the the um, royalties are higher with audio simply because the, the price of the audios, audible books is higher. Um, so anywhere from two thirds to three quarters, which makes me primarily an audio book author. Is that cool with you? Or is there like some kind, is that like, I mean, you don't care. You're getting your bills paid. Like you're doing good, yeah. but is there any kind of, stigma in the community be like oh he's an audiobook author he's not a real author that writes you know what i mean is there any of that yeah. there's well not from the point of view of authors but there is still a little bit of uh stigma involved with people saying they've read a book when it's an audiobook mm -hmm. and and that has i think that comes from the same people who argue that december 31st 1999 wasn't the eve of the millennia you know what i mean like mm -hmm. nitpicky people yeah uh, so people have and i heard you at the beginning of this uh interview saying consume instead of read mm -hmm. which you know that's fine except it sounds like you're eating it which you know, <laughs> you know, well, but uh whether you listen to a book or whether you read the text you've read the book and from my point of view you bought my book you enjoyed my book hopefully and uh you you know you're talking about my book it doesn't matter to me whether you listen to it or read it it's, okay it's exactly this. okay yeah I, I i i am careful about when i talk to other people about saying i read it or not because i there is a there to me there's a little bit of a difference um they're just i just i think i don't know i just think there's a bit of a difference and not good or bad it's just different i grew up reading books i love the feel of a paperback book or, or a hardcover book. I love paper. I love turning it. Yep. I love putting a bookmark in there and remembering where I'm at. Yep. And, and it does take a certain amount of dedication to sit down and read. I mean, you're using, I feel like you're using a couple different muscles at least. I mean, but I mean, I guess you're using different muscles when you're listening it too. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, I guess maybe it's lack of vocabulary. Like I, cause when we say read, and, you know, in my mind, I'm reading words. And if I listen to a book, am I reading it? But yeah. Well, I mean, the word read is a specific action word that means a specific thing. So if you want to be technical about it, if you're listening to an audiobook, you're not reading. Right. You, you may be enjoying the story and you may be visualizing it, but you're not reading. And from that point of view, I can say, okay, I get the point. But I guess we got to come up with another word for the for the the general action, consuming. <laughs> Something that doesn't doesn't bring eating to mind. 
Yeah, I don't know what, what, what the downloading. <laughs> yeah. yeah, inloading. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, is this is this your dream job now? Like it was computer programming, not so much the dream, but like, are you doing your like, are you living the dream right now? Doing what you want to well, do? Computer programming was was my dream for a while. Okay, nice. Um, I I. I was going in an entirely different direction when I when I was in school, um, but once I got into computer programming, I loved it. It it started out as a hobby, and turned into a full time job. And I did that for I don't know, thirty five years. Wow, something like that. Uh, you know, lots of different jobs, lots of different uh, locations. I really enjoy it. It's it's a creative uh, kind of a task. At least if you have that particular um, job classification. I mean, if you're into, if you're in uh, uh, customer support or something like that, it's not so much, but uh, it, in a lot of ways, computer programming and writing are very similar. You're, you're going through similar steps. You're going through a similar mindset. You are creating an overall program or novel. Uh, there's debugging involved. There's, uh, you know, unit testing in terms of making sure that the chapters all fit together. And you haven't had something happen before something else that it depends on, which was a problem with We Are Legion, by the way. Uh, I bet. I don't know how yeah. you, I don't even know how you wrote that. It's just so comp. It must have been so complicated. Spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else yeah. you could have. Yeah. So anyway, when I when I went from computer programming to novel writing, it was a different kind of the same kind of feeling. The 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 uh, there's that feeling when you build something, whether you're a carpenter or whether you're a plumber or whatever, when you accomplish a job and you finished it and you turn on the water and it works. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. There's a huge satisfaction there. The thing that writing has that computer programming didn't have is that I work for myself. I work at home or at the beach or in the backyard or wherever I'm on my own schedule, um, which for a procrastinator has certain downsides, Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it's, it's great. Uh, so uh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is the dream. It sounds like that's the dream. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to do something on the beach for my job or in a mountain or whatever on my own. Yeah. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to work for the man. Um, Dennis, this was amazing. I didn't, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm sure you've got, you got more writing to do. Um, and I, I do got to say it comes, I think this comes through, through your books, but you must be a huge coffee lover. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I've toned it down for the books. <laughs> I was, I, yeah. We can tell every book is like, gotta have that coffee. Gotta, and like some of the things that you implemented into the Baba verse, internet you know their internet uh the uh bob tube not bob tube just the whole the whole interface i don't know the whole bob the bobiverse yeah um you net you didn't you added like you know you added the coffee and the food and and the drones and all that stuff you didn't add i wonder if you thought about this any like mind-altering substances other than coffee like there's no i don't think there's any smoking there's no drugs and you know, like, like, was that purposeful or just didn't think about it or just because Bob doesn't think about that? Well, Bob doesn't think about it. Uh, Bob is a little bit of a Gary Stu for me in that 
a lot of his personality and outlook on life is the same as mine. Um, I'm not much of a drinker. I don't use drugs. I'm not going to say I didn't when I was younger, um, but I don't. And it's simply because uh, reality is interesting enough. I don't need to warp things to enjoy myself. And Bob works the same way. He, uh, well, especially when he controls his own reality, he can do whatever he wants and he can, he can basically as, be as entertained as he wants and be completely sober. Why would you bother right. with, with mind altering substances if you had his, if you were in his position? That came actually, you know what, now that you say that, I, you're saying that, that reminds me of in book four was, what was the artificial intelligence, Anakin? Or, or an, what was the, Anik. Anik did yeah. the same, kind of did the same thing when he went to the, the moot, the Bob, the Bob, the moot at the end. And he was like, oh, I'm going to have this beer or whatever it was. And he was like, well, I want, I don't want to be altered. And then Bob was like, oh, you can just turn that function off. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Bobs do occasionally turn on their, their alcohol receptors, you know, for, for short periods of time. But uh, I don't think any of them ever gets past the buzz stage. And one of them had a hangover one time. Yes, Bob did have a hangover, but that's because he was upset. Yes. <laughs> and he went on a bender. Ah, yes. Yeah, okay. I, I, I wanna, I'm going to let you go, I promise. But I do keep, you keep yeah. thinking, the names with all of the things. Like, I love the bender, the homer, the seven dwarves with hungry. Like, you have all these different names. Like, was that, just, was that one of the more fun things? Was just coming up with some of your favorite characters from other books or shows or, or pop culture? or? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that just evolved over the course of writing the book. Um, I, I, there's a tendency to think that authors plan everything from the outset, but a lot of stuff just evolves or it's an idea you suddenly have in the middle of writing the book and you go back and you add it in and, and stuff like that. Do you have a favorite character outside of Bob? Howard, I think. Okay. He was the one that was keeping uh, keeping in contact with the family, or no? Howard is Bridget. Oh, Bridget's uh, husband. That's husband, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They're a fun little couple. Yeah. All right, Dennis. I thank you so much, man. This was incredible for me. I I am so thrilled and excited that you have more coming out, especially more Bob. I mean, I like them all. I like Singularity Trap. I like I liked the the time travel short story. There was another short story that was that involved the Baba verse. I forgot the name of that one, but I don't know. I mean, you're you're an amazing writer. I can't, yeah, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, guys, is there anything you'd like to say or you know promote or anything before I get you out of here? Uh, not at this point. Uh, I will say that I'm looking forward to Comic Con coming back in uh, in in real life as opposed to in in virtual form. Uh, I've always wanted to go and I managed to get myself um, the membership just before things shut down. So still haven't gone. I've never been either. We just had one here in Kansas City, I think last week, real, a real, real person one in live Comic-Con here. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to go to the San Diego version. The, the, the real uh, one. Yeah. As a, as like a, a panel speaker or, or just as a, go uh civilian yeah let's see what happens <laughs> all right uh do people call you bob no okay <laughs> well 
Dennis, I appreciate you, man. This was this was really amazing. And I just like good luck with with future endeavors. And I cannot wait to keep reading your stuff. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. How do I turn this thing off? That's what I always say. <laughs> and <laughs> there we go.